Hey there, welcome back to the Path to Zion podcast where we are rediscovering the ancient way. Thank you so much for tuning back in today. You can always find us over at pathtozion.com or, of course, on our YouTube channel. If you just search for Path to Zion podcast, you will find us there. You can send us an email anytime you'd like at pathtozionpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to get to know you and uh, hear your story, know where you're from and what your family's learning, and uh, add it to the mix of what Father's showing us here. And so we thank you for tuning in. If you've not been looking at content lately or if you're new here, I'd encourage you to go back and look over the last 30 days or so. In, content has been increasing. Um, we've been having some more things come to the surface. And I'm actually trying to dedicate more time to fully write out and then record episodes based upon what we're doing here in our household and in my sphere of living. Um, and so I encourage you to do that. We just are in the process. All of the series is not posted yet. It's all recorded, the three-part series, Yahweh's Family, Who's In? Um, and, and the first part is all that's been live thus far. Part two goes live right uh, here in a few hours. Um, but we're getting good response from that. It's a very good question. A lot of people are asking, kind of like with a little grimace on their face, like, is it okay to just wonder that, like, biblically speaking, how do I find out? Who are Yahweh's people and who are not? And, and as I've always been saying over the last several years specifically, everything boils down to you got people in covenant and you've got people outside of covenant. And that's a very topical drive-by version of uh, how we define that. And so we've been talking about that. Um, and so I'd encourage you to go check it out if you've not um, watched that series or listened to it over at pathdesign.com. Today we're going to talk about a Bible verse that's very famous. It's world famous. Um, and we're going to talk about what it really means. It's Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. And, and where there is no divine vision is what we're going to talk about today. And what, I'm, what my hope is, is to walk us through uh, a scrutiny of a verse, uh, a proper study of, of a Bible verse. It's just one. Um, we're not even going to talk much about context and what it said before or what it said after because we can spend plenty of time just sitting here in the parking lot of, of investigation towards what does this verse mean? Most of us have heard it. We're going to examine it a little bit more. And this is kind of along the same lines of what I um, shared about um, all these other verses that it's just an, an hour uh, of examining the word and, and making sure we really are handling it well. And are we... Are we applying it according to the way that, that Father intended and, and the way that the author meant it to be understood and read and, and therefore applied to our lives? Um, and so it's, it's quite, li quite likely that every single one of you that are watching this today um, have heard the most popular version of the first part, okay, of Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Um, it's been used for decades um, to promote Christian endeavors. Um, in the KJV, which we're going to read some of the versions of this verse, um, but the KJV, I would say, hands down, is the most popular version um, that we have heard. And we could all say it in unison, where there is no vision, the people perish. Okay? Now, it's been used for, for church building projects, um, budget requirement meetings, revival gatherings, um, promoting a new pastor, or a pastor search committee, search team. You ever been on that before? I have. That was a lot of fun. Um, ministry endeavors, um, and much more. Um, this verse is very, very popular and thrown all about Christianity. 
primarily within organized religion, um, formulaic church, but also in house church movements. I've heard it in every possible setting that I can remember throughout my life. Um, because even if we come out of religion and just begin an organic move of God, <laughs> well, we have to have a vision. What are we going to do? What's our main components of ministry and outreach and Bible study and discipleship? Because what? We know where there is no vision, the people perish. And everybody puts it on a t-shirt and a, uh, a, an envelope for the offering. Um, it is, is very popular. Um, but what, what we never hear about um, is, is the, entire, the entirety of this verse in, in Proverbs 29, 18, which concludes with, and I'm not going to read the KJV. Uh, I don't even know what the second half of the KJV states um, for this verse. I had to use the first part because that's, that's what's drawing you into like, oh, yeah, of course, I know that verse. Of course, we all do. Um, but an accurate version of the second half of that verse is, but blessed is the one who keeps Torah. Okay? Blessed is the one who keeps Torah. Now, if the inherited interpretation was correct, this verse would make no sense. Okay? Um, perhaps that's why it's never mentioned in fullness, because if we are using the first half of this verse in, in any religious context... Um, I would say it, it even transcends just mere Christianity. It goes into other religions and belief systems and, and even business ventures. I've heard this before. Um, it's kind of just become a catchphrase, really. Um, but it would make no sense if we apply the verse part 1a, um, you know, verse 18a, um, alongside 18b, if we use the common interpretation for the first half of the verse alongside the understanding of the second half of the verse, it makes no sense. Okay, so, so in other words, where there's no vision to, to add a thousand more seats to our church auditorium, um, but blessed is the one who keeps Torah. It's like, oh, well, okay, well, what in the world do those have to do with one another? <laughs> And herein lies the great problem at hand today as we examine this verse. Um, and, and if we don't apply it correctly, and if we don't understand what it's saying in the first part, we will eliminate the second part because it doesn't fit. And I would propose in humility that that is what the Christian religion has done with this verse and so many others. Like I talked about with the Ezekiel dry bones, I've been looking into the Joel prophecies for the last several days about... Um, the pouring out of, of his of his spirit upon the earth, upon all flesh, and all these things about these are verses that we're very familiar with, but we've not been handed a proper understanding of what the author and what the ultimate capital A author was was um, desiring us to use them for, and what it's speaking towards. And so we're just going to dissect this a bit. Um, and so in light of that, and, and there's some sort of a season here. In, in my life and in my house, um, and even around brothers that I'm um, alongside right now, of uh, bringing Bible verses like this into the limelight that have been, here we are again, just kind of cherry-picked and misappropriated. Um, and here we are today with this verse, the one right here in front of us at hand, is, is a Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Now, let's start being a little bit of a word nerd here and talk about these things in their proper context and, and understanding, so that... We know um, what is intended for us to do with this, this 
um, fact, this statement that's in the Word um, for us, preserved for us to, to glean from and, and study and rightly divide. Um, so this word vision is not at all used um, to cast a vision um, of a man or of an organization or of a family. You know, like we cannot use this verse rightly, and we will get to this. This isn't my opinion. This is just Bible study. We can't, I can't make this, okay, I can't create a, a statement of faith or a mission statement for this YouTube channel and share with you my vision for, I would love a, a new microphone. I'd like to upgrade the microphone. Um, I'd like to, whatever, I'd like to expand the studio, which I don't, and all, all these things. I could, this is all make-believe. And I want to, um, you know, do more YouTube promotions. I want to pay for advertising on Facebook. I want to infiltrate, you know, Instagram, which I don't even know how to use, you know. And I, I need some help with that. And we need some funds to, to do the promotions and to post ads and to get traffic. And, and so, friend, won't you just help us today? Because without vision, where there's no vision, people perish. Click, record, edit, Okay. That's a misappropriation. I can't use this verse in that way without mishandling it. You, friend, can't use that to put that on your, your, your family ministry. You can't put that on your, your global, international, you know, super-duper world outreach um, endeavor. We cannot do that. It, it, that is not what this means in the slightest. And that's, I'm trying to make a point so that we realize, first of all, what it is not. And as we go along, I'm, of course, going to establish from my perspective and study what I believe it is saying. But it's not to cast a vision of a man or an organization, a church, a religious assembly at all. Um, in fact, it's directly related to a divine vision or a divine revelation, which is why I titled this today, Where There's No Divine Vision. Um, it's from Yahweh, as with true prophecy. Okay, true prophecy, an oracle of Yahweh Elohim. Um, the Hebrew word hazon speaks of a revelation, an oracle. Um, we see first mentioned, it shows up in Samuel's day um, with Eli, and the word of Yahweh was precious in that day um, because there was no open vision at that time. Um, Yahweh's oracles, his revelation through men was just kind of quiet. It was a very silent period. And so to establish a correct understanding of this vision, this Hebrew word speaks of revelation from Yahweh, an oracle from, from his very mouth. Um, so first of all, just for fun's sake and just to help us lay a groundwork, um, a couple of, of pretty bad interpretations is what we're going to talk about uh, just for a couple minutes. Uh, the message is probably the worst. I ran through about a dozen just trying to pick and choose, and we'll get to some that were surprisingly pretty accurate. Um, not again, not to my preference, but like looking at Hebrew words and like this is what the, the essence of this word or phrase means. And it means that because you look to first mention, you look at it in Exodus, you look at it in Deuteronomy, you look at the context that it's speaking within, you look at what it's saying, and you know, you use the Bible to define itself, you know? Um, none of this is from a commentary. None of this is like, hell, man, well, that was easy. I'm just going to copy and paste this and put it in here and make it my podcast. This is just simple Bible study. Word study is all it is, using the Word as my textbook. 
So the message puts it like this. If, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they're most blessed. Um, yeah, I'm not a big fan of that one. If people can't see what God is doing, is not really at all. This isn't vision like that. This is not like vision according to, I can't see what God's doing. Um, NIV's a little bit better, half of it anyway, but not much. Where there's no revelation, people cast off restraint. That part's accurate, and we're going to get to that. They did pretty good on that one. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. Nah, okay, that's where they lost me. This isn't really wisdom's instruction. I mean, that's that's not how I would properly, in my opinion, translate Torah. I mean, it's not really wisdom's instruction. Um, I understand how they get there, but I don't. I, anytime I start seeing Torah removed and any other word put in there, it's like, okay, this is how we've got here. Um, we've lost, I mean, golly, two-thirds of Psalms talks about the wonderful Torah of, of Elohim. Most translations, however, um, even ones that I consider just downright awful, <laughs> have it pretty right. They, they did a pretty good job of translating this verse, which is really uncanny about, well, how did we get here then? I don't know. It's very, it's very interesting. Um, even this version I found called the easy-to-read version that I hadn't read before, the ERV, um, states it this way. If a nation is not guided by God, the people will lose self-control. But the nation that obeys him and his law will be happy. Hmm, okay. That's actually pretty close. Uh, the wording is a little bit loose because we're talking about just kind of God. You know, he doesn't have a name, of course, in most Bible versions. We believe he has a name, and he gave it to us so that we could say it and speak it and stand upon it and do things based upon exalting his great name. Uh, the contemporary English version puts it this way. Without guidance from God, law and order disappear. But God blesses everyone who obeys his law. Again, a little soft wording, but... It got the point. That translation got the point of this one verse that we're going to scrutinize for a, a little while longer. Now, my preferred version, what I use a lot, I use the CJB, Complete Jewish Bible, because it has a lot of the Hebrew text in it. I also use the Tree of Life version right now, probably more than any other. And it, it states it this way. This is, this is um, verse 18a and b, okay? This is it in its proper entirety. Where there is no divine vision, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who keeps Torah. Okay? So we have to ask this question, and this is a question that most Christians hate to have to answer. But we read this verse, and if I could go back just, what, 14, 15 minutes ago and say, where there, I'll read the KJ version, KJV version again. Where there's no vision, the people perish. Is that true? And all the believers stand up, yes, amen, yes. <laughs> okay, is that true? Is that true for us? Yes, amen. Whoa, yes, such a powerful somebody. That's my life verse. That's what somebody might say. You know, it's probably a pastor, preacher, evangelist would say that. That's my life verse. Okay, fair enough. But is the last part also applicable for us now? Ah, I say this all the time, don't I? Every verse we go across almost has this... Uh, question that can be tagged to it. So is it also equally true for us today that God, Yahweh himself, blesses everyone who obeys his law? Blessed is the one who keeps Torah? 
Is that also true today? Oh, gosh, here he is again at that Torah. Man, he doesn't need Jesus. He just needs the Torah. Again, I, I get tired of having to explain myself over and over again. Watch all the other hundreds of videos we have if you think I don't need Yeshua, because that would be a, a grand mistake uh, and misunderstanding. But we have to ask this question. Is this verse true today? Okay. The majority would quickly say, yes, it is. Um, when, we're, when we're taught it errantly, when we're taught it the way we have inherited it. Yes, and amen. Without a vision, God's people, his house, cannot flourish. The people will perish. They'll die. Amen. Yes. Well, is it true still when we realize, and we're going to go further and further into this, it doesn't mean that. Is it true if it doesn't mean what we have said that it means? Is it equally still true? How do we know? Not true in the sense of how it's been handed to us, to be clear, but as it was intended. Is it still true and applicable as it was intended for us? That's a real uh, tough question for some to answer. Um, so this word perish, because again, perish, we say, oh, they're going to die. Oh, they're going to die without a vision. <laughs> no, that's not what it's saying. I'm sorry. Um, the Hebrew word properly used and defined is they cast off restraint. One of the versions that we already looked at, look, some of them that, again, are, are pretty accurate and close if we expand the Hebrew understanding of this word, um, casting off restraint, they will lose control. They will not um, have guidance. Law and order will disappear is what one version says. I don't want to get too far out here in translations, but it's good for us to expand our understanding biblically now of what these words mean when we just read them so that we don't just blast by them. So this cast-off restraint is not just they're going to die, they're going to perish without God's vision that we give to them or that is given to us. We'll die without it. It is not saying that. Um, in fact, it says that they... They, those who are casting off restraint because there's no divine vision or revelation, what it's really saying is they will become lawless and wayward people. Okay, that's what this is saying. I know a lot of people are not wanting to hear that out of my mouth yet again, but that is what the verse says. Friend, study this verse. This is one verse now. I could spend three hours on it. We won't do that. But this is one verse. One. This is very easy, okay? Literally five minutes of just simple topical word study will, will reveal easily now that my son, my 11-year-old son could understand this. Oh, this doesn't mean at all what we have understood it to mean. In most cases. Perhaps then we rightly understand the second part of the verse. If, in fact, we're talking about how where there's no divine vision or revelation, people will cast off restraint, okay? They'll become lawless ones, okay? Then, oh no, oh my, then the second part of the verse makes sense, would you say? The second part of the verse that we never hear, oh, that's why the second half says, but blessed, but blessed is the one who keeps Torah. Oh, that's why that's in there. Ha! That's why it doesn't need let off and, and, and removed. Because it, it, it does make sense with the first part of the verse. Because 
you can cast off restraint. You can move away. You can um, lose self-control. You can be an unbridled, lawless one. But blessed is the one who keeps Torah. Proper definition of the Hebrew word keep is shamer. Okay, I've been, I only say it because I'm trying to learn these things. This isn't always just for you. It's for me as well. I do it with my wife, my, my, my son, with other people. I'm like, just let me say this. I'm not trying to impress anybody. I'm not a Hebrew scholar in even kindergarten. But I'm trying to learn these things because I see these patterns. What I study, I'm like, oh. So I have some understanding, a baseline understanding of shamer. So I'm studying, I'm reading. And I see the word keep again. For me, oh, I bet it's Shamer. And I'll go and I'll, I'll look. It's Shamer. Or it's not. Adds to my understanding. So I understand the principle of Shamer, keeping. Okay? It's all over the place in my studies lately. It rises to the surface in, in a lot of different places. Example, we keep Father's commandments. Okay? We keep or Shamer his Ways, his law, his Torah, okay? We keep, we shamer, his appointed times. We keep his feasts. We keep his Sabbath, okay? We have to understand what this is saying. Uh, But blessed is the one who keeps Torah, okay? It's that sort of keeping. We have inherited a Christian religion that says you can't keep Torah, even that opposes, even though... We humbly respond to that with, like, that's, that's not what Deuteronomy says. The Bible says that it is not too hard for you. This is not beyond you. Yahweh, our perfect Father, would not give his children a law code that they could not keep, that they could not live according to and guard and preserve, okay? To take this a little bit further. Again, that's what we do with feasts and Sabbath. That's what we do with Father's commandments. That's what we do with Yeshua coming and saying, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's the Greek equivalent. Keep my commandments. Guard them. Preserve them. Keep them. We're going to really hit on that here in just a minute. I'm going to try to keep this to just be uh, one part. It's just going to be a little lengthy. That's okay. Keeping in the Scripture is a guarding, protecting, and preserving. Thereby, when we keep... Father's Torah, when we shamer, we protect it. We guard it. Okay? It's of great value to us. I shared this with someone just yesterday, I believe, that it's of something precious to us. It's something that I hold dear. I guard it like I would my son if there's something happening that that might harm him or, or come after him or whatever we want to use. I I guard it. I keep it. I preserve. I keep it close because it's so important and valuable to me. It's close to my heart. Okay? That's the proper understanding. His appointed times. I guard them. I love them. I that's what, you know, that's what we see in the word of Elohim. That's what we see David doing when he says, I love your Torah. I love it. It's it's so dear to my heart. It's close to me because Father. That's who you are. <laughs> that's who you are. And that's a whole other thing I'm looking at in the last two days about, like, when we start removing Father's Torah and picking it apart, we're removing part of who he is. It's his essence of who he is because he revealed himself on Mount Sinai and said, I am Yahweh Elohim, and here are my ways. They were synonymous. They were inseparable. But that's for another day. So keeping, keeping, shamer in the scriptures is a guarding, protecting, preserving, 
Um, again, new covenant language. Yeshua said, if you love me, keep, guard my commands. I would propose, please lean in for this one, okay? I'm going to try to say it with clarity. I'm just going to read it. I would propose that when we keep, guard, and protect Yahweh's covenantal commands, we are thereby kept, guarded, and protected by them. Okay? This is covenant. This is covenant. Let me read it again. I would propose that when we keep, guard, protect, Shamer, Yahweh's covenantal commands, we are thereby kept, guarded, protected, Shamer, by them. Okay? This is covenant, friends. This is covenant. No big surprise. You see, when only a few minutes of proper study into just one verse comes, this a misused, misrepresented, and mishandled verse that, that means little to nothing at all of what it was supposed to say is, is seen for what it is. And it says so much more, friends. It says so much more than what we've been told. It's moving this to uh, a conclusion here. Giving ourselves to proper Bible study will propel us back to um, the time of Moses' day. I'll have to be real brief and just really floor it through this part. But the prophet of Yahweh, Moses, okay, a mediator for the Israelites. Um, he had just come down from the mountain, of, of course, and, and quote, with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, one on one and on the other, the tablets were the work of Elohim, and the writing was the writing of Elohim engraved on the tablets. This is Exodus 22:15, of course. So Moses comes down, he turns to Aaron, who he had been, you know, Aaron had been left in charge, and we read this. Quote, when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained and running wild, because Aaron had let them run wild, they became a shame among their enemies. Okay, and so why am I reading this? This is just one little piece of uh, one little grain of sand on the seashore of the biblical pattern towards these things that we always highlight here on the program. The people had quickly become unrestrained and running wild, lawless. What were they doing? Of course, get the earrings, get them out, melt them down. And, and here's Aaron. I don't know what happened. We melted all this stuff down and poof, a, a calf popped out. <laughs> How did this happen? <laughs> and when was that happening? When Yahweh Elohim was revealing himself, the essence of who he was, wrapped up in his Torah, to, to give to a holy, consecrated, set-apart people to obey so that they might be holy as he is holy. Interesting, yes? So their lawlessness that was defined by being unbridled, unrestrained, had caused them to be uncovered, okay? this They had become a shame among their enemies. And this, this word, and this is over here, and this is a whole other issue um, about this covering in Shamer. There's a whole, man, there's a, oh, do I go there? Come back on the rails. There is a covering. Um, th there's, there's so many things in the word of Elohim about this, about a covering, um, about a woman's covering being removed and, and vulnerability and... Um, it, it would take too much time, and I'd get sidetracked side a little bit. Um, but as we see in this Exodus text, that is, it is um, running right alongside everything else we're already talking about. These people's, um, beha this people's behavior of being unrestrained and running wild, lawless, careless, 
Anything goes. And what are they doing? Idolatry, of course. They had become uncovered, exposed, and laid bare. They were shameful in their lawless behavior in the eyes of their enemies. Okay? This thought is not unique unto the Israelites. It runs throughout the entire word from beginning to end. And I'm going to continue to highlight it for the good of the body. The theme continues. Yahweh's Torah is his people's delight. Okay? He is found within it. He is found. The essence of who he is 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 poured out into his covenantal commands, his Torah for his people. To be holy as he is holy. Mark, distinct, kadosh. This is why we have to look back to the scriptures and receive what? Here we are at the beginning. Revelation. Divine vision. Divine vision. Which leads to what, friend? It leads to a needed restraint. A necessary restraint so that we keep and guard the Torah and thereby we are blessed. This is the word of Elohim, friends. This is not a, this is not opinion. There's no opinion here. This is Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. And it's very, very simple to understand when all we do is sit down and stare at the text alone. Where there is no divine vision, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who keeps Torah. So the next time you hear this verse, and you will hear it again, and when you hear it misused, misappropriated, please humbly submit the entirety of the verse into that gathering, that worship service, that conversation over dinner with a brother in its proper, full context. The word is living and active, yes, it is. But friend, it is not living and active any longer when we remove and when we add. We are not given that liberty and license to take a verse and make it mean whatever we'd like it to mean. And so friend, where there is no vision, no divine vision and divine revelation, the people will cast off restraint. They will become a lawless people which is why the second half of the verse and proper understanding and, and study makes sense. And we're told, but there's a way, friend, to avoid being a lawless, wayward people. Blessed is the one who keeps, guards, and preserves Torah. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, as we talk about what? Where there is no divine vision. Are we a people of restraint today? I'll let you answer that question. I do not see that within the body of Messiah at large. In fact, we see the exact opposite. <laughs> We're not under law, brother. If you want to go back under the law, go right ahead. We're free in Jesus. Friends, I constantly challenge that point scripturally and say, has that too been mishandled and misunderstood? I would say yes. It's up for you to decide. It is all our personal decision whether or not we allow the word of Elohim to be our absolute source or if we have a little bit of truth and a little bit of traditions of men 
it's all up to us to uh, what dose and measure we can handle at this present moment. So I hope you choose well. I hope I choose well also. So thank you for watching. This is the Path to Zion podcast. We're rediscovering the ancient way around here. Thank you so much for tuning back in. We'll have more content coming out. Who knows? I've got so much stuff going on. Um, we'll get to it eventually. So thank you so much for watching. Amen.